tonight uh, for the new people, we finished on Wednesday night, we finished the book, I think for the ninth time or tenth time, I can't remember anymore. And, uh, and now we're looking at this book, Carry This Message. Uh, you don't have to get a copy of this. Uh, uh, Patty uh, will copy the handout, but uh, this is a guide for big book sponsorship by Joe McHugh of the Joe and Charlie. And it's very powerful. It was written quite a few years ago. He wrote the steps we took, which we've used here at this meeting quite a bit. And I wanted to do something a little different, look at it from a different perspective. Since we finished the uh, uh, working with others, and before we start the chapters uh, to wise employers and, uh, and vision for you, and uh, I thought we'd look at some of the information here because he talks about carrying the message. And uh, we read the chapter on, uh, <coughs> on passing on this special gift. And we didn't quite finish that. And so I have the last few pages at the back of the handout tonight. And last week we started synchronicity of events on how AA came together and how the book came to be. It's, it's a, a brief look at it. And then before I, th I start the uh, other uh, chapters at the, uh, after uh, we, uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a uh, understanding the problem on Wednesday night which is really good. It's about how, how he looks at our problem and how you would work with someone and if you're newcomer, newcomer what your problem is. And then after that, there was a recognizing the solution. So I thought I'd cover those chapters because we usually have a few new people in here and I thought that would be helpful. And um, <coughs> we left off last week with uh, Dr. Bob and Bill and Akron and turned to page 18. Uh, this handout. I've got the new microphone, so hopefully you won't hear the page turning. Uh, it was a problem before when we had handouts. Uh, we had I would just do it from the phone. You could hear them all, but it didn't bother me. But it was uh, some people said that it wasn't as clear, so we do it now. So they're talking about meeting Bill Dobson. He's AA number three. If we have time, I'd like to read it those few pages from a vision for you. If not, it's on page 157, 158, and we have uh, on the uh, vision for you is on the site in one of the podcasts. And I hope to do that, but I don't know how much time this will take, and I want to leave time at the end for a little discussion. Oh, we didn't do birthdays? Yeah. Oh. Do we have a birthday? Yeah, we do. So anyway, we had a birthday and uh, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, now we're going to pick up. And uh, so uh, they talk about after visiting with the Oxford Group members in Akron, Bill went back to New York. This was in 1935, and he started a meeting there. And he went. He says he went back with the knowledge of the powerful dynamics he learned in Akron. For those who weren't here last week, we're talking about 1935. Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob met in Akron. Uh, they worked with a few others for a while. Bill stayed there two more months. Then he went back to uh, New York. Uh, the Akron group became very uh, uh, successful at finding new people, and uh, they set up meetings. And I have a uh, podcast on the uh, early AA on the site, and I went through that in detail, how the meetings were, how the original 
Oxford group meetings and how they switched to uh, became just AA meetings in 1939. He says, so Bill Wilson was the first person to have a whole program of recovery. Joe and Charlie make this point. He got the problem from Dr. Silkworth. That was in the hospital in 1933 when Dr. Um, Silkworth told him what his problem was. His problem was that he couldn't control how much he drank. Bill didn't realize that even though he had lived it. It's amazing how we can have things that are wrong with us and not really see them until somebody explains it to us. And they explained there was an allergy that he can't control how much he drank. Then Dr. Silkworth was, was not a, uh, an alcoholic, but he worked with enough of us. And uh, he worked at a hospital for alcoholics, for those people who don't know the history. And he saw that alcoholics have this inability to live sober. He called it irritable, restless, and discontent. And they seek the ease and comfort of alcohol in their mind. And then they drink and the cycle repeats itself. And then they wake up with remorse, right, and incomprehensible demoralization with the uh, uh, firm uh, oath never to do it again, then they do it again. <coughs> he understood that. He explained that to Bill W. That, and so Bill W. knew that, but there was no solution. So when he left the hospital in 19... 33, he said he, he had self-knowledge now. He knew the problem, so that would fix it. He was drunk a week later. Mm -hmm. Then after that happened, he said fear would fix it. That didn't work either. And then, of course, he, uh, he had Ebby Thatcher come to him, and we talked about that last week in 1934, November, I think, 11th or something. He came to his house in the kitchen. Uh, Bill was uh, drinking. He said, I have more uh, booze and Ebby can talk. Ebby was one of his old drinking buddies and, and uh, he had gotten the Oxford Group program and after 60 days he went to Bill W. And Bill W. took the steps in the town's hospital and we're here today. Uh, just a quick review because we've gone through that quite a few times. The solution he got from Ebby Thatcher, he gotten it from Roland Hazard, who had gotten it from Dr. Young and on Saturday, I think the week before, we went through pages 26 to 28, where Roland Hazard, who was a very wealthy, prominent, uh, uh, of a prominent family, he couldn't stay sober. He'd gone all over the best psychiatrists. He went to Switzerland to Dr. Young, and uh, <coughs> he had a year of therapy with Dr. Young, and uh, he knew his mind extremely well, the inner workings of his mind perfectly, and so he was drunk a week later. So then he came back to see Dr. Young, and Dr. Young said, there's no hope for you. I didn't realize that you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But yet we're alive today, right? So Dr. Young was the first person to say that he'd seen alcoholics in recovery. It was a phenomenon, he couldn't explain it, where they had what he called a complete rearrangement of their personality. They had some psychic change. He called it a spiritual change. So. Uh, um, Abby said, great, I like to, uh, Rowan says, I like to go to church. He says, that's not what we're talking about. And then he went to the Oxford group with Reverend Shoemaker, and he rescued Abby Thatcher from going to the asylum. Abby Thatcher had 60 days sober, he went to Bill W., and we're here today. The hand of God, I call it, and I have a podcast on that as well. And so what, what the solution from Dr. Young was this spiritual experience, this change, this uh, uh, some power greater than ourselves rearranging our, the way we think and act. And then the program of action we got from the Oxford group. 
we got their steps, and that was a group of people trying to practice fundamental Christian, uh, uh, fundamental Christianity uh, before in the first century, right after Christ died, and use those principles to live. And so it says that that's the 12 steps have their origin in the ideas of Dr. Silkworth, Carl Jung, and the Oxford groups. Bill Wilson also always emphasized that it had nothing to do with originating any of these ideas. We talk about him writing the book. He didn't write the book himself. He, there were many people involved in the writing of the book, but he used his, his language and style to put the concepts together. He said his contribution was to gather them together from other people. He always felt he was used as an instrument to put the, together the 12 steps. And you know, we talk a lot about Saul and then becoming Paul, becoming an instrument of God to preach the gospel. I really think Bill W. was chosen. Uh, he was a fallen person, obviously, like Saul was, and God gave him that uh, white light experience in the hospital. It changed him, and then he uh, became an instrument of God. He talks about when he actually put the 12 steps together, he prayed to God. He didn't know how he was going to write how it works, and then it just happened. I look at the big book as like a PhD thesis. It's a compilation of all these ideas put together and, and I uh, came from the Bible. I talked about that. Uh, that we had a, we have a, we did a podcast and an episode on the books that were used the big write the big book, and how they got all these ideas. They're paragraphs out of some of these books. Stu and I have seen read some of them where you could see lines that we say are really powerful in the big book. It just came right out of there. Some of these ideas he put them all together, and so they say the program recovery the problem uh, step one came from Dr. Silkworth. The solution came from Dr. Young, and the program of, of action came from the Oxford group. And so really none of this was originated in alcoholics, but God put all this together so we would have a way out. And I also believe that it's a way out for everyone, but alcoholics were desperate enough to do this. I also believe it's just my opinion. I don't have God's uh, direction and this knowledge of this, but I think God wanted to give these spiritual principles to the world again in a form that was very easy to follow to get close to him. And so he used us because we would be desperate enough to do it. And there's a review on Amazon, if you read a review of the big book, by Aldous Huxley, who was a famous philosopher. And he said in 100 years, everybody will be reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on how to work the steps and how to get out of self and connect to God. Um, <clears throat> so then the, he and Bob, and it says, uh, they expanded the Oxford group tenants. They had the first hundred. They got sober in the Oxford groups. He writes the bill, said that the alcoholics need to change more drastically than other members of the Oxford groups did, absolutely. Um, he realized, remember, we're self will run riot. Normal people are just self will run riot, but we're extreme examples of that. and. Uh, Anybody disagree with that? <laughs> no. <laughs> he realized that the tenants need to be adapted and the meetings made separate for alcoholics, started the singleness of purpose. And also for identification, I mean, it made a lot of sense. It was uh, hard when they broke away from the Oxford group in the beginning. Um, and uh, the Oxford group used to call them the group of drunks. And, uh, but they, they, we, made, we had our own meetings. Then they wrote the steps in 1938. They wrote the big book. In 1938, it was published early in 1939. 
Um, a lot of work done. I've had the original manuscript here that you could see with all the corrections and notations. He talks about he wanted language that alcoholics could respond to. And so he, he didn't think that we would like the term surrender because we're alcoholics, right? We'll, we'll, so we'd rather die than surrender. And a lot, a lot of alcoholics do. It's really sad. And the idea of witness and sin, those were the terms used in the Oxford group. The first Oxford group tenet was surrender. We talk about that a lot. But surrender actually isn't in the big book, but it's described in great detail in step three. And it says, um, I lost the page here, what did I do? Uh, he replaced the word surrender, and he said, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. But actually the surrender was that we had to do what? Quit playing what? God. Why? Because it didn't work. And we had to stop doing that. We had to surrender ourselves as managing our lives. We had to fire ourselves. We were a losing team. We were the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and we kept, we kept putting the same players out on the field. And, and uh, we kept getting the same results. And we said, uh, you know, it's not the players. We better fire the managers and the management. And so uh, that's what we did. And then the second group was examine your sins. He doesn't use the word sins in the big book. That might have turned us off. None of us had any sins, right? He said that to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. But he talks about we're going to face and re be rid of the things that are blocking us, which is sin. And that's what the purpose of the fourth step was. And then they had sharing and confessing. And that, he be said, became admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. And the, actually, the way it's worded and the way the steps are set up is, I think, is really improved. It's much more detailed, and it's, it makes more sense. Um, then he added steps 6 and 7 and 10. And we talk about 6, 7, and 10 are the tools are changed. We just finished 6 and 7 on Sunday. I think we probably spent five or six weeks on it. To me, they're the key. And I, and I wrote here, something occurred to me, that the steps that change, the steps of transformation, I'm changing my character in six and seven. Think about it, we're gonna change our character. We're gonna get rid of our old character and replace it with new. And I'm changing my behavior in step 10. And so I like that, that came to me. And it's with God's power, of course. And then six and seven are used in step 10, you know, in that paragraph we talk about on page 84. And I think those, those steps are the key, keys for us. They weren't in the Oxford group because we're trying to practice a new way of living and we need spiritual exercises to get out of self constantly. And he said that he needed more change. He divided making restitution to steps eight and nine. Step eight we talked about, we had a meeting on that. Become willing. Willingness is the key. Being able to forgive is the key. Being able to want to amend, to make right, uh, relationships and uh, uh, things that we've done to other people. And the last Oxford group tenants was ask God for guidance, which they called quiet time. It's very important in AA. The, they only had one meeting a week, but they did quiet time together uh, every day. Remember in those days, a lot of people didn't work. People lived in neighborhoods. Nobody had a car, nobody had TV. They didn't exist. They had radios. It was, America was very poor then. They would have quiet time, and what they would do is read a line of scripture. 
and then they would meditate on the scripture and then they would write what God had told them in the meditation and then they would share it. So the meditation we talk about in AA is not the chanting and the, and the incense or whatever that stuff is. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. But it's, it's, it's meditating on something to get God's feedback on it. And he didn't think out, so he changed step 11 to uh, sought through prayer meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, implying that we had no conscious contact with God when we started. And by working uh, steps one through 10, we have conscious contact. He calls conscious contact in our big book, we're entering the world of the spirit. We're with God. And then we have a fighting chance. And then step 10 is how we try to stay in the world of the spirit all day long because we keep moving in and out of it. Bill didn't like the word witness as the Oxford group used it either. He'd been in the Oxford group for four years and he did try, he worked with a lot of alcoholics. Um, and, and it was so important, this witnessing as part of it. He changed it to having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And I wrote that in, about that today in the Thought for Recovery. And that's how we get faith. Um, and then we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics. And I wrote, you can't witness to something you haven't seen or done. And really all we are in AA are witnesses. I am the witness. And we witness by how we practice the principles in all our affairs. That's how I tied that together. Practice these principles in our affairs. We are witnesses. That's where faith without works comes in. What do our works look like? Are we a witness of what our faith can do? <clears throat> now, anybody can look good in the meeting. I look good here for a while. Uh, not the whole hour, but a lot of it. But how, how do you do at home? How are you doing at work? How did the people you're with, how do they see you? How do they see the change? And we were, talked about it uh, at one of the meetings. The uh, people can see the change in us sometimes before we can. And then here's these, uh, it's a nice handout looking at our steps and the Oxford group steps. We owe a lot to the Oxford group. I'll probably do another meeting on the Oxford group sometime, uh, how the meetings were set up, how they did their principles. And then, um, so we finished that chapter then. I ran out of time on uh, passing on a special gift, which is the first chapter in carrying this message. How do we pass on this special gift that I've been given? I hope I'm doing some of that today. How do we do that? Because that's what AA is all about. One alcoholic working with another. So we got to this handout and um, it says, uh, we all love Alcoholics Anonymous. Anybody not love Alcoholics Anonymous? There are a lot of people who does, don't think AA works. There are people who come here and don't work it. And then they go and say, it didn't work for me. Have you ever heard that? I went to AA, it didn't work, didn't work. But it saved my life. Has it saved anybody else's life? I mean, it's, it's, we can't explain how grateful we are, can we? That's why birthdays are important. It's a chance for us to share our gratitude to God. But somewhere along the way, without realizing it, some of the principles have gotten lost. And we started losing the message. We started losing the fellowship. I just wrote down a few things here. What, what I've seen is that the, I've seen a resurgence of the big book. Since I started this meeting in Topeka, and I don't want to take credit for it, but there have been a lot of other uh, a lot of people are getting into the big book. We have big book uh, discussion meetings during the day. We have Friday at the church. There's one today at 1100 where people are reading the book. Um, I wrote that the fellowship moved away from the program 
And remember, in the beginning, it was one. The big book's name is called Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. And so we took the name of our fellowship from the name of the book. The book came before the fellowship came. And then they moved away, and I wrote some of the fellowship program. We have a fellowship program. Some of the things I've heard. Uh, I hope none of this makes anybody upset or anything. It's just things you hear. I heard it's a selfish program. I've never seen that in the book. I mean, we're self-centered people. I don't know where that came from. The newcomers are the most important people in the meeting. Meeting makers make it. I love that one. Uh, think through the drink. That's my favorite. If I could think through the drink, I wouldn't be here, right? Just don't drink. Uh, take what you want, leave the rest. That's a great one. Uh, don't work the steps too quickly. Uh, fake it till you make it. And then... Uh, uh, 90 meetings in 90 days, which I think is really good. But it's misrepresented. It means if you do 90 meetings in days, you're going to have some result as a result. I think the most important thing in 90 meetings in 90 days now is we see a lot of people, they just don't have any, any security. They don't have any, any place, any, any support. And the 90 meetings in 90 days I think is great. But anyway, those aren't bad things. It's just some of the things you hear. Um, and I don't know, it's not good or bad, but we don't, we don't talk about the book quite enough. Uh, some people think, I, I don't judge that. Um, I do have an opinion that uh, I think if somebody really wants this and they're really seeking God, God will put the right people in place. They'll find the right people. And, and if they really want it, they'll recognize it. I think sometimes we want it, but we don't recognize the help that God's put in front of us. Uh, it says, step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcohol and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Now, there are three parts to that. First, you have to have a spiritual awakening, which is the result of the steps. There's only one result of steps, the spiritual awakening. What does it mean? Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, you were spiritually asleep. Now, what did that mean? A spiritually asleep man, I didn't recognize that there is a God because I was playing God. Now, how could I, I lived my whole life running the show and thinking I was doing the best I could. It was insane. It's insane for me to play God, but I didn't realize that. It came naturally to me. I don't know about you guys, but it, but it, it and so the spiritual wake is I realized there is a God. He's part of me. I have a relationship with him and I'm awake to that. And then I want to stay awake and connected all the time. And that's the result of the steps. And then we're going to try to carry this message to alcoholics that if you do the steps, you'll have a spiritual awakening. Now, we don't tell you what the spiritual awakening looks like to you. You'll tell us. Uh, AA is an experiment. I don't know if people realize that. It's a book, and it says, this is an experience. I experiment. If your life is futile and hopeless, and if you're completely defeated, do the first 102 pages and tell us what happens. And you see, and if you do that, you tell us what happens. And, She's telling us what's happened after 90 days. I've seen such a change just since she's come. And so you tell people, we, and we don't tell you that you have to do it. We just suggest that if you don't have another way of doing it and your life's completely messed, try this. And we don't say it's the only way either. And so that's, and so that's the message. It says, this is the message we're to carry. If we work these steps, we have a spiritual awakening. So one of the results of not having a spiritual awakening is not working the steps. And you can't, a little spiritual awakening, like working half the steps won't help you. It needs to be a total spiritual awakening. 
And, <clears throat> and it should be obvious that to carry this message, you must have worked the steps yourself and had a spiritual awakening as a result. So the sponsor, or when you choose a sponsor, a sponsor should be a witness who can tell you what they did and then take you down the path and then just show you what they did. And so that's how uh, sponsorship was in the beginning. Actually, the sponsor in the beginning of this whole deal was to the Oxford group. You had to be sponsored to go to the Oxford group. So you had to have somebody sponsor you, say, speak for you that you should be allowed to go to the group. And remember in AA, before you went to the meetings in the beginning in Dr. Bob's house, you had to go upstairs and do the third step prayer. And if they didn't think you'd really surrendered, you didn't go to the meeting. You just kept going up there until they thought, because they really only wanted to work with people who were really wanted this. That's why the success rate was so high. And, and, and the, uh, Joe says in the preamble to their Wednesday night big book study, it says, uh, if you've taken these steps and have gotten results, please share your experience. If you've not taken these steps, please be willing to listen. Boy, if I said that at one of the discussion meetings, I'd get thrown out of the room. Uh, I'd get thrown out anyway. So, uh, I also wrote, no steps, no results, no change, no spiritual awakening. Um, then it says, uh, oh, I know like at some of these meetings, there's a thing to sign up to, to, to uh, do the meeting. And it says you have to have six months sobriety. Does that sound good? Well, why? I mean, Abby only had two months. It should be, have you worked the steps? You see, we, we give a sobriety, we count that, and I don't know if that's not good or bad. But that's not what they were talking about in the early AA. And so I think if you've worked the steps and you have a month, you should be able to do a meeting. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's, just, it's just, I saw that one day and I thought about that. Uh, and uh, one of the requirements would be, have you worked the steps out of the big book? And so anyway, I'll shut up. Beyond our meetings, we carry this message through sponsorship of others. Chapter 7 in the big book is devoted entirely to carrying this message. has very specific instructions, and they're actually here at the back of this handout on, uh, on, on all the instructions that it, it, you go through with the new person. I don't know if we'll go through that tonight, but this thing about what Dr. Young told Rowan Hazard is very powerful. He, wrote, he said, I believe that every human being has an inner search for wholeness. Uh, what I had was I never felt quite okay. I never felt quite at peace my whole life. I always felt a little uneasy. I couldn't explain it. I wanted approval. I wanted things out there to make fill that hole. And I didn't understand it. I didn't even recognize her for a while. And he says, I've never been able to help a person who found their wholeness in alcohol. And that's what we're trying to do. Remember, alcohol is not our problem, it's our solution. And we take alcohol to treat a spiritual illness. And it is a spirit, they call it spirits, but it's a spirit that works for us for a while or else we wouldn't do it. But then after a while it kind of turns against us, right? It boomerangs. And it requires a power greater than human power. And that was so powerful when Carl Jung said that. He said, I think God created us with that emptiness so we would find it has to be filled with spirituality. That's why the best day I can have is just being okay. If I just feel okay and I just don't feel uneasy or anything, it's good. And now I like being okay, so when I start getting uneasy, I can see it. But before I work the steps, 
I was, whenever I was okay, I was worried about what I was missing. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? I'd be sitting there, I said, gee, I feel okay. Well, what's happening, you know? Maybe I'm the only one, but it really makes a lot of sense to me. And now I want to be okay, and I know when I'm not, I'm separating from God. He talks about here, sponsorships become more than uh, friendship. I did something here. And um, friendship is good, but then if you're a people pleaser like me, how do you tell the sponsee that he's full of, you know, uh, or how you be honest with people if you're afraid that they're going to reject you? So it's hard to be a sponsor. You have to set boundaries, and you have to you have to understand what your role is. I'm not here to fix anybody. I'm just here to be a witness of what I did and show uh, the information that I did. And we're we're not really above anybody else. We're 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 horizontal in AA. We're all brothers. We're all children of God, brothers and sisters. We're all the same. Nobody's better than anybody else. And so. We don't want to, I, I don't like to have that attitude that I'm the sponsor, so I'm better than you, I know more than you. All I know is that I was as sick as you, and then I can show you what I did and help you. And I think if you go from a horizontal relationship, you get more, uh, you get better interaction than if you go this way. And, uh, but sometimes it's hard because you start out this way and then you're ending up this way. You don't even realize you've done it. And, and so uh, sponsorship is not easy. Everybody talks about you know the sponsee, but it's hard to sponsor too. It's, uh, it, it takes a lot. You need guidance from, from your higher power. He says, I think some people quit drinking, work some of the steps and start sponsoring. But he says, if you haven't had a spiritual awakening, you can't carry this message to other people. And I think when I listened to Joe Charlie the, for the first time, it was so powerful to me to listen to these two men and realize that there was a whole program of recovery that I knew nothing about. And I'm not saying it was anybody else's fault, but I was probably five years sober. And it was just, oh my. And that's why when my son died, I said, I'm gonna do meetings similar to Joe and Charlie so that people know there's a program in here and then they don't have to die at three in the morning of alcohol and drugs in their car. I hope these meetings have helped someone. It's helped me a lot. And it says, uh, you can't carry this message. It says you can't transmit something you haven't got, page 164. And I think at the meeting should be the same way. We should be trying to transmit at the meetings. Like the meeting today was so powerful at the church because people are sharing their experience. We were talking about fear. And they were sharing their experience and how they deal with fear and how they, how they use the spiritual tools and how they change their behavior. It says, we say there's a program of attraction, and um, they talk about not drinking is not enough. We place emphasis on sobriety, but that isn't the goal of the program. The goal of this program is a spiritual awakening that will change our lives. And what we really want is emotional sobriety. We want peace of mind. We want to be happy and joyous and free. We want a sense of, uh, of peace and, uh, and tranquility. And it says, uh, we want to produce a personality change sufficient to make us recover, that will change our lives, to make us happy, joyous, and free. We read about the spiritual experience. It's in the appendix of the book. That was at uh, Saturday's meeting. That'll be up on the site uh, in the next few days. And it's a powerful appendix that they added so people would understand what they meant by the spiritual awakening. It says, the big book tells us that the tools of our program will enable, enable us to enter a fourth dimension to live better lives than most other people on earth. But we too often we settle for not drinking. And I think some people 
uh, don't realize that they're missing a lot of the program. Uh, sometimes they've just never been exposed. They just don't know. It says, uh, and so this is the message we carry, and he, he writes, the existence, the fellowship depends on it, lives depend on it, and I wrote, my life depends on it. Because if I stop giving it away, I'll stop getting it, and then I'll stop doing it, and then I'll be separated, and who knows, I'll have no protection against my disease. Do you want to read the uh, vision for you or stop now? Do you want to read that uh, AA number three? Yes or no? What do you think, guys? It's powerful, three pages. It, it's on page uh, um, page 157 on a vision for you. They're going to the hospital and, they, and the woman says, I've got a corker for you guys. Now remember, Dr. Bob's only been sober about a week. And he and Bill Dober are going to the hospital. It says, hopelessness was written large on the man's face. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here, I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. For an hour, the two friends, Bill W. and Dr. Bob, told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me. I drink like that. The man in the bed was told the acute poisoning from which he suffered suffered how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. See, that's how they worked with the new person. Yes, that's me, said the sick man, the very image. You fellows know your stuff all right, but I don't see what good it'll do me. You fellows are somebody I was once, but I'm a nobody now. From what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. He understood the hopelessness and futility of his condition. At this, they laughed. I mean, we laugh at things that are really, some people would think are pretty, pretty crazy, but they laughed. The guy says he's dying, and they're laughing. Uh, Dad went on to laugh about that I could see. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted, I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I'd never touch another drop, but by nine o'clock, I'd be bald as an owl. Anybody relate to this? Next day, found the prospect more receptive. He says, I've been thinking it over. And he was thinking it over, maybe you're right. He was willing to let go of an old idea, change the way he saw things. He said, God ought to be able to do anything. Then he added, he sure didn't do much for me when I was trying to fight this booze racket alone. Now these next two paragraphs, I just find are so powerful. On the third day, the lawyer gave his life to the care and direction of his creator and said he was perfectly willing to do anything necessary. His wife came scarcely daring to be hopeful, though she thought she saw something different from her husband already. Remember, it says here, after we take that third step, we have these promises. Things seem to change for us. He had begun to have a spiritual experience. That afternoon, he put on his clothes and walked from the hospital a free man. Think about it. Think how it was like just the day, day before. He entered a political campaign, making speeches frequently in men's gathering places of all sorts, often staying up all night. He lost the race by only a narrow margin. But I love this line. But he had found God, and in finding God, he had found himself. I mean, that's, that's the whole deal. So I'll open up. It went over a few minutes, but we have some time for discussion. Next week, uh, we'll pick it up, and uh, we'll look at how, how they look at the problem. I think it'll be very helpful. We,